Podcast listeners, welcome, welcome, is January 22nd, 2017. You're listening to Learning Not to Hate Yourself with me, your host, John Lillick. Um, thank you for coming back. Sorry, first of all, I'll apologize. Um, I know I missed a week, and I feel bad about that, but I have a semi-good reason. I was pretty much, I've been pretty sick for the last, I'd say, three or four weeks now, uh, and I really was at the height of it when my show was scheduled to air, and I just didn't have it in me to sit in front of a microphone for a few hours by myself and talk, and you didn't, you don't want that, trust me, it would have been a bad, bad episode, um, but I'm back now because can't stop, won't stop, unless I get sick or I have better things to do, then I will stop, but failing those two things, I'm here for you, as always. Uh, I'm still kind of feeling under the weather, so you'll have to forgive me if I'm not quite 100%, and if I have to stop all the time to cough, like I just did, um, you'll just have to understand that that's a thing that's going to happen, because hey, life happens, right? I'm a human being, I can't be on the ball all the time with everything, I'm sorry. If you think that's a good reason to stop listening, by all means, go ahead, I understand. We can't all be perfect, and I understand that you expect that of me, and I'm sorry, and I'm rambling. Um, uh, this episode is going to be probably a little bit different. Uh, I'm not going to stick to the format so much just because I'm alone this time. Couldn't line up a guest or just didn't have the time to do that. Um uh, recording this pretty late, so it's going to get posted even later. Um, so that's, that's going to be fun, I guess. I don't know. So, yeah, my first solo episode since episode zero which is the episode that uh, shall not be named. We shall not speak of it because it did not happen ever. So we're going to have to, I'm just going to have to wing it by myself here. I didn't really prepare much. I have a couple of things I want to talk about. So it's probably going to be a shorter episode at the very least, uh, just because I don't think I could fill two hours by myself, but that's okay. Uh, We'll get through it anyway. Um, So yeah, other things that have been going on, not much really, just work stuff. Um, boy, missing as much work as I did kind of fucking sucks for everybody. We're already pretty short-staffed, and then me not being there didn't help. Uh, but what could I do? Viral infections suck, and they're totally fucking contagious, and nobody wants that in their workplace, right? If you get sick, you should stay home. I don't want you coming to my place of business whether I work with you or not, uh, I just, I don't want that in my life because I need to work. And if I get sick because of you, I can't work and that sucks. But we're not going to dwell on that. We're going to move on. So things that have happened that I care about in the last little while since, uh, since our New Year's episode, which I hope people liked. I've got a little bit of feedback from it and I think it turned out pretty well. I'm very happy with it. I think it's probably one of the better episodes we've done so far. Having that many guests was kind of intimidating um, didn't, it's hard because we still don't have the form factor down. I've written down a couple more questions, but I still don't have the full list of a hundred that I would like to have. And I probably won't have that before the next episode goes up. And I'm hoping to have a guest by then. Fingers crossed. I make no promises. I don't want to, I don't want this to be a, a me only thing anymore. Um, that was kind of the idea at first, but now I realize that that's not probably the best idea. I think I'm better with 
a co-host. I'm better with someone to play off of, someone to to shoot ideas off of, someone to take the focus off of me for a little while while I need it. Yeah, it just it seems like a more interesting show when I have people that can be constructive inside of this space and I sound like such an asshole when I say stuff like that but it's something I've been thinking about a lot on what I want the show to be and where it's going and am I happy with it and the answer to those questions is I don't know I think so and yeah I am happy with it but I'm not going to sit here and waste your time like I said it's going to be shorter episodes so let's get right into it Um, The big thing that I care about right now is that uh, about two weeks ago, the Nintendo Switch got uh, announced, which, well, it didn't get announced. It was announced back in 2015, I think in March, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I don't know if it was in an E3 event or, yeah, I don't know where, it might have been Nintendo Direct or something like that, or maybe someone just talked about it offhand. But back then it was known as the Project NX, which is, if you don't know, uh, Nintendo Switch is Nintendo's new uh, video game console that they are going to be releasing uh, in March of this year, I believe. March 3rd, I think. Yeah, March 3rd is a Friday. Um, It's exciting and terrifying and interesting and weird, as Nintendo usually is. Uh, so yeah, like I said, they originally spoke about it in 2015 and uh, between then and, and now, a lot of stuff has been kind of leaked. There were a lot of rumors going around about what this thing was going to be and technical specs got out there that seemed kind of legitimate, but also kind of crazy. Um, and if you don't know what this thing is, basically it's, it's seems to be something of a hybrid console where they're trying to bridge the gap between of sit down in your living room home console that you play on your TV and a handheld console like the DS or the 3DS. And that's an interesting thing, especially for Nintendo, because in the last probably decade, I would say, maybe more than that, um, their strength has been in the handheld market where the 3DS is pretty much the the king of the hill there, or was up until recently. Um, Just the quality of games that were coming out for it, the number of games that were coming out for it, the developer support, the community support, the number of units sold. Uh, really nothing has been able to touch that thing in terms of just like items sold through. It's, it's actually kind of incredible. Uh, and then on the other side of that, you have Nintendo's home consoles like the Wii and Wii U, where the Wii was a, a smash hit, but no, I said Smash, and that's a Nintendo property. I'm so clever. Uh, the Wii was a big seller for them, but not for the reasons that video game consoles are usually big sellers. Like, I owned a Wii, but I never really played it. I I bought Twilight Princess, which is the, one of the Zelda, the Zelda game that came out for it, but I only played it for a couple of hours and then never really went back to it. I bought Wii Fit for some reason. I have a Wii Fit board in my basement which I did use for a little while, actually, um, just because I was trying to, always trying to be more health conscious, and I figured if I could somehow gamify my physical health, it would make me more interested in actually pulling through with it, which it worked for a little while. Uh, it worked the same way that all health kicks do, right? Like it, It's like going to the gym for me, where I signed up for a gym membership, and I do it for a couple months, and then I, I just stop going eventually I find I start finding excuses to not do it and then those excuses get bigger and 
more complicated and it sucks and I'm bad at it and I'm trying to do better. I really am. Uh, we was just like, we sports was really interesting and it was a thing you could show people and be like, Oh, look at motion controls and how kind of weird and semi-functional they are. But it was also a lot of fun. But then that novelty wore off and then they released the Wii U and they, it was really confusing for everyone. Like I, I'm pretty deep into the like games journalism and game industry and my fingers on the pulse and all that. And when they released the initial announcement of the Wii U, I didn't know what that thing was. Uh, it was very confusing. And if it was confusing for me, if, if you were like, you know, average Joe only plays a couple games a year or uh, p- parents for a kid that were looking at getting this thing for Christmas, you didn't know if that thing was like an add-on for your Wii. Were you just buying the tablet controller? Was it a whole new system? They really didn't explain that when it first came out. Um, and then it came out and almost nobody bought one. <laughs> almost no one bought one. They they had a very, very low install base, which meant that developers were more reluctant to produce games for it because they knew they couldn't sell the numbers that they needed to to justify the cost of game development. And so you ended up not having any really big AAA third-party titles. It was all mostly Nintendo first-party stuff, which is what Nintendo is best at, like your Marios and Zeldas and Kirby's and Wario games. Like, like they, they know how to do what they've been doing for the past 20 years, but that's about all they know how to do, it seems like. Uh, online services were not great in that system. There, there were a handful of games that I wanted to play on it. Bayonetta, Splatoon, um, some of the Mario games I like. I haven't I haven't played a Mario game in a long time, and I feel bad about that. Not all the way through, anyway. I've, I've played them at friends' houses, but I haven't like really sat down and tried to beat a Mario game in a long time, and I feel like a, a bad gamer for doing that, but whatever. I suck at puzzle platforming games, so it's not really my forte, and it becomes frustrating for me. But I didn't buy the Wii U. I didn't see a reason to. As much as I wanted to play Bayonetta 2, I didn't see a reason to to buy that system. And now this thing is coming out and they just released all the technical specs and pricing and everything, which we'll get into right now. Um, So like I said, coming out uh, uh, March 3rd, 2017. Price point MSRP in the United States is $299. In Canada, it's three ninety nine, so you're looking at a four hundred dollar console plus taxes, four fifty something like that. So, to what this thing actually is, is the concept of the Wii U taken to its nth degree? I think where the controller on this, well, the entire console really is basically a tablet that has two controllers on the sides of it, and then a docking station that hooks up to your TV. And the idea is that you can take this thing from its docking station. Uh, use it as a handheld system and play the same games that you would play on the standard console that you will on a handheld, which sounds good, I guess, if that's what your thing is. I don't really play a lot of handheld games anymore. I find it very hard to to make myself do that. I like when I'm playing video games, it's I'm sitting down in a chair or laying on my bed or something like that and staring at a big fancy TV with like high fidelity and low latency and really good graphics and everything that I want out of video games. 
And I find it really hard to condense that experience into something that I can fit in the palm of my hand. That's what I would consider to be a reduced experience. And, and then like the games that you would play on mobile devices aren't really the experiences that I'm looking for. Like I don't, I think if I like had a really long commute to work or something like that, if I rode the bus or took a train or something or lived in a city where I could take a train, I would be more inclined to have handheld systems. Like, But just by themselves, I find it hard to be like, well, I could play this thing on my DS or I could play a PlayStation 4 game. If those are my options, if I'm sitting down for game time, I mean... It's hard justification for me to play the reduced experience over the much, much better one. <laughs> so what else can I say? Um, the technical specs got out a little bit earlier than this, but it seems like they were right. Um, so this thing, the, the tablet itself is running on an NVIDIA Tegra uh, chipset. So that's the architecture it's being run off of, which is the same thing that's in the new NVIDIA Shield Android box. Um, and if you don't know what the NVIDIA Shield is, it's this thing that came out, I don't even know, it feels like five years ago. But for some reason, NVIDIA decided to try and make a handheld system that they were touting as being like as powerful as some PCs. And they were they were like playing, you know, full bore PC games, first person shooters, The Witcher and all that kind of stuff on this handheld system. And I don't I don't think it did well. I can't imagine that it did. I don't. I, I never heard of anyone actually buying it, um, because it was this weird half step between a gaming laptop and a PC, or like a handheld console, like a, a PS Vita or something. It was it was running this weird Android something or other. I don't know, like their browser, and it was really weird. So I don't know what that means for the Switch. Like I don't know how much of of I don't think you can compare those two. I don't think they're like looking at the Nvidia Shield and how poorly it did and how it wasn't like a good system. I don't think you can look at that and say, oh, well, that doesn't bode well for the Switch. I think Nintendo's smart enough that they would take that chipset and that hardware uh, and that software and hopefully optimize it to make it as good as it possibly can be. Um, But even then, like this thing's not going to be a powerhouse. It's not going to be a you know, replacement for a PlayStation 4 or an Xbox One, especially with the the PlayStation Pro and the Xbox, what's it called? The Xbox One S? No, that's the slim one. Well, whatever the new, uh, new upgraded version of the Xbox is going to be, I'll look it up later and I'll link it in the notes. Um, like those things are going to be leagues ahead of, of what the Switch is ever going to be capable of. Like the memory it has on board, so it uses micro SD cards as opposed to onboard hard drives or something like that, um, which I can kind of understand, especially if you're going for a portable uh, system. I guess you would have to do it this way. Um, but the onboard memory is only 32 gigabytes, which is not much. Um, one of the launch games, the, well, the big game that's coming out for this thing is going to be Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which is the new Zelda game, which looks really cool and interesting and I totally am down to play it um, but that thing if you want to download that and have it a digital copy of it on your system that thing takes up you know 14 and a half gigs which is nearly half of your total memory <laughs> storage on the system uh, which is kind of crazy so 
unless you want to do everything, you know, from box, uh, that's going to be a tough sell because the, the system can, it can accommodate up to a two terabyte storage on an SD card, which is a size that doesn't currently exist, at least not in a consumer sense. Like the biggest you can get readily available is about 256 gigs and you're paying somewhere between, well, in Canada, you're paying probably between 180 to $230 for a card that size. In the States, it's probably a little bit less. Um, but that's on top of a 399 console. And that's that's going to be a hard sell. The, the pricing point is the thing that really gets me on this system. Um, it, it looks cool otherwise, but the cost of what you actually have to pay get it to do the things you might be maybe you want it to do is where they kind of lose me on it um so the one of the things this this does it has a, a neat control system so similar to the wiimotes they have what are called the joy cons now uh which they're not similar to the wiimotes i mean they probably have similar functionality in the end but that's not really what they're going for this time out and basically you've got these two controllers um they have joysticks and here i'll pull up a picture of them just so I can describe them a little bit better. Um, so you've got a left and right uh, joystick, and I believe it has a button that you can push in on the on the sticks as well. So it's like your standard controller. Uh, the left Joy-Con has uh, a directional pad on it, a D-pad, which is just four buttons. It's not like a kind of. It's more like the PlayStation directional pad, not like the Xbox One, which is kind of like a disc almost. Uh, and then it has a share button. So if you want to capture video or photos, I think like do screen caps from the from the system, you can hit that and it'll automatically do that. And then it has a trigger button as well. Um, the right side is pretty much the same thing, except the uh, the stick is lower on the actual controller. And then you have your X, uh, Y, A, and B buttons. Um, so your main controls there. And then I think a, like a home button or something like that, like a start menu kind of thing on those. And so the way this works is that if you want to play the system on your TV, um, the tablet itself goes into the docking station that is uh, hooked up via HDMI to your TV, the way any normal console would be, or any modern console, I should say. Uh, and then you get a what they're calling like a gamepad or something, basically, which is like a separate controller piece that the two Joy-Cons slot into, uh, and you can use it as a normal controller kind of idea. Uh, or if you want, and then through that you can you can play it on TV, or if you want alternatively, you can take the tablet out of the docking station, attach the Joy-Cons to either side of it, and then they become controllers that will help you or will allow you to control it on the tablet. And you use it like a basically like an iPad. I think I'm pretty sure this is one of the conflicting things I haven't really gotten a solid answer on yet. Um, is I, I think that the screen has touch functionality, but it's probably not as robust as like an iPad or an Android tablet or a Windows tablet. Um, it, it, it's going to be a, not quite as, as good as that. It's probably no like haptic feedback or anything um, to make it seem like you're pressing buttons, but there will be some functionality there. The estimated lifespan on the tablet itself out of the dock is about three hours, maybe less on hard use. That's another hard thing for me to swallow. That seems too low. Because if you're expecting me to play full-sized multi-hour games like Breath of the Wild is supposed to be on this thing, then it has to run longer than three hours. Like that, that's not good enough. 
So hopefully in the future, they find a way to optimize that a little bit better, but that's a hardware issue. So I don't imagine that they could do much about that. What else can I say? Uh, let's get into the pricing here. So consoles, 399, um, the joy cons, which are the controllers. If you want more of those, which you would want more of those because a big selling point of this thing is supposed to be, um, like multiplayer games, uh, local multiplayer games. So having friends come over and play video games with you, that seems to be a big kind of market that they're trying to bite into here. Uh, each of the Joy-Cons can actually be used as a controller individually. So you start with essentially two controllers for games that only need one Joy-Con or only one controller for games that require both Joy-Cons. Uh, so basically you turn them sideways and once they're undocked from the tablet or from your uh, little controller, uh, they have L and R buttons on the top of them, I think is the way it works. So you get the four directional buttons, the stick, and then two... Um, to like left and right kind of uh, top buttons that you can use. So it's not the worst controller setup, but it's also limited functionality compared to a regular controller for any other console. Meaning that the games you would use that configuration for are probably limited to, to party style games or things that are specifically designed for it. If you want more Joy-Cons, um, you can buy them individually for $49.99 or as a pair for $79.99. And that's U.S. dollars, so that means if you wanted a pair of Joy-Cons in Canada, it's probably going to cost you about $100, which is a lot. Um, there's a lot of technology in these things. Um, I think the left one has an IR sensor in it. They're motion control, so they have um, gyroscopic uh, sensors in them. They have a form, what they're calling uh, Rumble HD, which if you've played any video game in the last you know 25 years, all controllers now have rumble in them. So when you do things, there's feedback, physical feedback from the controller. This is supposed to be a step up from that. I think it's some kind of haptic feedback. The example they give in the video, which again, I will link in the, in the description of the podcast, is like a, the guy who's doing the demo is holding a glass, like a, like a highball glass. And he's like, and you can feel ice cubes rolling around in this thing. So they, they haven't like an image of, like overlaid on top of his hand of him holding a glass and there's just three ice cubes in there. And he's like, yeah, you can feel like individual, how many individual ice cubes are in this glass or something like that. So I don't know how that's like a useful function yet, but I'm sure Nintendo will come up with some way or some developer will come up with some way on, on why that's a good feature to have. Or maybe no one will do that. <laughs> maybe it's a it's a useless feature that just increases the cost of these things to make them almost impossible to actually go out and purchase because you're pricing yourself out of a market that doesn't exist. Maybe that's a thing that's going to happen. I don't know. I'm really worried about this. I love Nintendo. I love them for their optimism. I love them for their kind of childish charm and, and the way that they're very different than other developing companies, other console manufacturers, their whole thing is that they always have some kind of gimmick. Like they always have some something different that, that sets them apart from everyone else. But recently, those things that have set them apart have also been doing more harm than good, I feel like. They just, I don't know, they, they come up with these crazy ideas and then they never really follow through on anything. They never take it far enough uh, to make it something really interesting it's always 
a half measure that doesn't get supported in the end. Uh, and then it ends up dying on the table and it's terrible. And, and man, man, I hope this thing is, is like successful and is really supported well. Uh, cause if not, that's going to be really depressing. Uh, they, they better knock this one out of the park, man. But I, I just, I don't see it right now. Um, I have a list of the games that are going to be released for this thing, which is another, another concerning um, issue that I have. Uh, so on launch day, what you can pick up, there's four games. Uh, one, two, Switch, which is their party game thing, kind of like Wii Sports was for the Wii. Uh, but it's not quite the same thing it's it's more focused on the joy cons and their functionality and having like a party atmosphere from from what the, they show in the trailers that's kind of seems to be what they're going for is like hey you're having a house party you're having a bunch of friends over or something like that and you guys are going to play the switch and this is a, a way to do it it's a bunch of mini games essentially that are using the the kind of weird functionality built into this system to build weird kind of experiences i won't even call them games it, this is this thing feels like it should be a pack in with the system. Like when you buy the Switch, one two Switch should be with the console, but it's not. So you have to pay fifty dollars for this, which it's impossible to say now if that cost is justified or if if like if it's a collection of like fifty or sixty mini games that you can just play in rapid succession over and over again, and and it's a fun time with a group of people. Maybe that justifies the cost. If it's like 10 games that are kind of fun once, that's not okay. Uh, and and they, shouldn't, they shouldn't be selling it separately. It really should be in there because it, it's a showcase for what this thing could be, right? Like it's, it's, hey, here's the interesting part of this console and why you might want to buy one or why other people would be interested in coming over to play this. We should we should give this to you so that you can understand what this thing is right away, as opposed to having to pay fifty dollars to understand what it is and maybe end up not liking what it is. Um, and then Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild, like I said, so launch title. That's the big one. That's the one everyone's talking about. Uh, people who've played it have said it looks really amazing. There are some concerns about it, but apparently some people were saying it's not running very well on the Switch. Um, like it's got a choppy frame rate and stuff like that. That's something that hopefully they could patch and make better. Um, although they they might not be able to patch it because... <laughs> uh, so this thing isn't coming with like extensive online capabilities right away. Um, they're going to be rolling out their online services later in holiday 2017. So if you play on a PlayStation or an Xbox, you know that in order to really play those games effectively online... You have to subscribe to their respective online services. So for PlayStation, you have to subscribe for PlayStation Plus. And Xbox uh, One, you have to subscribe to Xbox Live uh, Gold. And that's a yearly subscription for their online services. And most games that use online functionality require you to have it for them to actually work. You can still play games single player and everything will still function offline uh, when you're not using those services. And hopefully that's the way it's going to work on Switch uh, because they're going to do the same thing where they are charging you money to pay uh, to play online for their for their games. So they're going to have a a pay to play system um, in place by the end of the year. 
I don't know how to feel about that. Nintendo has never been very good about their networking. Um, none of their consoles has had like what I would consider to be acceptable end user experiences for their for their online consoles. Um, it didn't really matter before because they didn't have a whole lot of multiplayer games that you would want that functionality for. So it was something you could kind of shrug off and say, well, this is what Nintendo does. I'm not here to play Call of Duty. I'm here to, to play Mario and I don't need an internet connection for that. But it, it's been worded very weirdly. So I don't know what the actual functionality of the console day one is going to be for online services. I assume it's going to be just system stuff. Like if you want to buy stuff on their store and it'll do updates and download patches and things like that. I, I don't think there's going to be any like, f- there might be like a, a thing where you can add friends to a friends list or something. Um, other people playing on the switch, which again is something they've always handled in a weird way in the past. Um, man, Nintendo. I don't know, dude, you guys are weird, but I love you. Don't ever change Nintendo. Or do change. Like, get smart about things. Understand that the world has moved on and that you have to stop being this the weird kid in the corner if you want to survive. Um, like, like, keep your personality and keep what makes you special, but also try and be more inclusive or at least realize what your strengths are. <laughs> stop resting on your laurels. Um, they've been getting by for a long time doing the same thing, and I'm not sure how much longer they can keep doing that. Like, keep making Mario games, keep making Zeldas. That might not be enough anymore. Uh, I'm really, I'm op- cautious and optimistic at the same time about Nintendo in a way I've never been before. Uh, where I, I don't know if they could take another failure like the Wii U. I know they've got money in the bank, but I, I don't know how a company could recover from that. And it would be a shame. Other games on launch day, Skylanders, Imaginators, which, whatever... Skylanders is still a thing, I guess. I don't know. And Just Dance 2017, which also I could care less about. So that's your day one, which... Eh, whatever, I guess. That's fine. Um, all I really want to play is Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild anyway, but that's because that's all there really is. So it would be nice to have a bigger launch lineup, but most consoles don't launch with very many games, so that's fine. Nintendo consoles have never launched with very many games. It's always been a very core select few. Uh, and then March, or sorry, 2017, the rest of the year, what we're looking at, and this is in order of release day, date, I should say. Uh, so, Has Been Heroes, I Am Setsuna, Sonic Mania, Lego City Undercover, ARMS, Super Bomberman R, Snipper Clips, cut it out together, uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which seems to be just a kind of up, well, not an upreads necessarily. I don't know if it's like higher fidelity, but it's a enhanced edition of Mario Kart 8, which came out in the Wii U. Uh, Splatoon 2, NBA 2K18, Elder Scrolls 5, Skyrim, which is a game that came out five years ago uh, on PC and everywhere else. And Super Mario Odyssey for holiday 2017. That's going to be your Christmas game. And that's it for 2017. For announced games, anywhere there still could be some sleepers um, lying out in in the wild somewhere that are in some stage of development that maybe aren't ready to be shown yet, but still might be ready by the end of 2017 or like third quarter. Uh, it's hard to say with that kind of stuff, especially with a new console. Like, I don't know how long people have had dev kits for it, so who knows how long people have been actually making games for this. 
uh, hopefully for a couple of years at least. So the only things on that list that I really have any interest in are like Super Mario Odyssey, which looks really cool. Again, I'm going to post the, the trailer for that one specifically because it looks fucking crazy. Uh, it, it starts with Mario walking around in the real world with other human beings. And it is disconcerting because you don't really think about it because he, he's always just standing next to Koopalings and stuff like and you just think oh he's just a that's just what humans look like in this world and it's like no Mario's not actually from our reality as it turns out he's from somewhere else because now he's this three and a half foot tall stout Italian man who is basically a cartoon character standing next to actual real people in business suits going about their days and it looks really fucking weird but it also looks cool and I'm down for it I like it when Nintendo gets weird because uh, I always like it when people get weird and I know that Nintendo's a corporation and not a person but whatever um, so that's your launch lineup what else can I say about the Switch I don't know. I like. I don't have any hands-on experience with it because I couldn't have any hands-on experience with it. There are better outlets out there than me to go find that information. Um, it's just, yeah, I think it's really interesting, and I want to get my hands on it. And I thought about buying it. Oh, this is one thing I could talk about. So I, I, I couldn't find a confirmation on this, but I had heard that the number of units being shipped for this console worldwide is. 2 million units and 2 million sounds like a lot but it's really not at launch that's a very small install base uh, 2 million consoles is a drop in the bucket for most of these companies uh, like Nintendo has always done this weird thing with supply and demand where they will own, well not always but I, I, th- I think what happened with the Wii U was that they made way more of those consoles than they they sold and maybe they're trying to be a little more cautious this time out and they're trying to not do that again. I don't know. 2 million units worldwide is nothing. That means that like North America maybe gets 500,000 units shipped to it. So there's no way I'm getting that thing at launch. Like it it pre-order sold out like the minute they went up. There's no, there's no way you could get your hands on it right now. If you're listening to this and this is the first you're hearing about it and you're like, oh, maybe this thing sounds kind of cool and I'll think about checking it out. But you're going to have to wait till second run because uh, you're not, you're not going to see it. It's not going to be in stores. They're going to have midnight launches for that shit. And if you didn't pre-order it, you're not getting one. Like I bet the, the EB close to my house is going to get maybe like five units total that aren't pre-orders. I bet that's it because that's all their market is going to demand. And that's crazy. That means that if you're a game developer and you want your game to be successful and if your game, in order to justify its cost, needs to sell 1.5 million units, the odds of that happening are slim to none because that would mean that 80 to 90% of the install base that exists for this console would have to buy your game. And that doesn't happen ever for anyone. Like, Like no one sells that percentage of install base. Nobody. To hit those kind of numbers, you would have to have the same customer buying three or four copies of the same game, which also doesn't happen very often. I'm sure it does happen occasionally. There are whales out there who will do that kind of shit, uh, but your average consumer isn't going to be that person. So I don't know. It's fucking crazy. I've been talking about this for too long, so we'll move on. Again, if you have more questions about the Switch, 
um, free, 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 feel free to email me. I'll talk to you about it. That's cool. And then I'll link all the kind of news sites and stuff that I've been, I've been following that have been reporting on it and the, the live video you can watch. You can watch the whole press conference and they'll basically tell you everything I just told you, maybe a little bit more. Also, you should watch that press conference because it's fucking hilarious. Um, I don't know who they got to translate that fucking thing, but it's so fucking good. Oh, I love that shit so much. It's the most awkward fucking reading of, of lip syncing that I've ever seen. It's so good. I really, really enjoyed watching it. <laughs> I watched it uh, I watched it in like th- a three-day chunk where every day after work before I went to bed, I would watch 25, 30 minutes of this press conference and I was laughing real hard. It was good. When that man pretends to pour liquid into that fake glass, I lost my shit, man. It was good. <laughs> Next up on the docket. Uh, so um, the article that I'm looking at this week that I found really interesting is on uh, Waypoint. Uh, it's a uh, Vice Gaming Way- Waypoint. I don't know what the official title of the website is, but it's it's Vice News is new gaming section of their website called Waypoint. Uh, it's called uh, Dragons in the Department of Corrections, written by Elizabeth DeClear. I don't know if I'm saying that name right. Probably not. Uh, and it is about a Dungeons and Dragons group in a maximum security prison, which is one of the most badass things that I've ever heard. That's the most gangster thing that could happen, is a bunch of like convicted bank robbers and murderers playing D&D together. That's dope. That's the most real thing that's ever happened. Um, so it's in the Sterling's Correctional Facility, which is in Colorado somewhere, uh, I think near Denver, close by. I don't know. Didn't really say. Um, and it, it starts by kind of talking about this guy, Melvin Woolley Bay, uh, who he's like a multiple offender uh i think it was like armed robbery a couple of times and possession and stuff like that so like he wasn't a murderer or anything but i mean he'd done enough bad things that he ended up in a maximum security prison so you know take that for what it is uh and his dungeon master this guy named aaron Klug, who from they they say he's like a they describe him as an introverted analytical like numbers focused kind of guy maybe kind of autistic or something like that uh, and apparently he's really good with numbers and he's really good with, with like scenario design and he's their dm and the way he talks about it like it, it's all he does while he's there like all of his spare time in his cell and stuff is spent designing characters and story arcs and campaigns and scenarios and they show in the article they show photos of the maps he does and they're incredible uh like they're so well organized he has them all like mapped out and gridded and he has spent so much time developing them as a fellow dm it makes me really ashamed that this guy is outshining me in pretty much every way and it's so cool they talk about how like the guys who sit down and play this game with them they're all from the different gangs within the prison. Like there's like from the different racial gangs. Like they, they sit, they just sit down with the white guy and the Latinos and the black community. And, and for like the three hours that they get to play a couple times a week, 
none of those things matter because during the game, the game supersedes everything else. Like, you don't bring beef to it. You don't bring any, like, aggression to it. It's you're sitting down to play a game with other people, and that's it. And that's so fucking cool, man. In a place where something like that shouldn't be possible, seeing that it not only is possible, but that it totally works in a way that it shouldn't be working. God, that's cool. That's so fucking cool. One of the things that they can't they can't have dice in the prison. Like that's contraband. Like I guess I don't know why. I I couldn't really figure out why you weren't allowed to have dice. I don't think you could use them as a weapon. I don't know. I couldn't think of a good reason not to give them dice. Maybe it has something to do with gambling. Like, yeah, maybe maybe you could use the dice for gambling and they don't want to encourage that. I mean, you couldn't stop them anyway. But so what that doesn't make any sense cuz so what they what they do instead of using dice, so usually you would use a, a d20 and other kinds of dice in Dungeons and Dragons. So instead of that what they use is a, a deck of cards. And they don't explain the mechanics of it, but I'm assuming what they do is they each have a deck of cards or they only have one deck of cards and then whenever one of them needs to make a roll, they shuffle the, the deck of 20 cards from 1 to 20 and then pull the top one and whatever you pull is your is your randomized roll, which is a really interesting way to go about it uh, and it makes sense and would totally work. It'd be you know slow and inconvenient, but it would totally work. But why would they be allowed to have cards and not dice? Maybe I'll I'll write a letter to the Sterling Correctional Facility and ask them why that's a rule that they have, why you can't have dice. <laughs> I'll, I'll become an investigative journalist for the podcast. How about? Um, but yeah, it's just a it's a fascinating read into these guys' lives and what Dungeons and Dragons means to them, and it's about escapism in a world that is trying to force you to very much focus on where you are and what you're doing um, because you're supposed to be in there for a punishment and rehabilitation and if you're escaping to a fantasy world um, you're probably not focusing on why you're in prison but it also like I'm fascinated by prison systems because they're so like wrong from a moral standpoint even though they're trying to be the last line of defense for morality and for doing the right thing, or they're the result of a situation in which the right thing can't be done. It just, I, I'm endlessly fascinated by it, and I understand so little of it. And, like, it's so easy to go out there and find information about these terrible, like, for-profit prisons that are overpopulated because they get paid by the number of prisoners that they have in residency, and how these fucking corporations own them, and there's like three big ones in the whole world that own like 95% of all the the privately owned prisons in North America and make billions of dollars on it every year, and it's this disgusting fucking industry that is basically just slavery, and how it's completely designed to keep people in prison for as long as humanly possible, and that rehabilitation is the last thing on our minds that we just kind of do by accident sometimes. I think if you're a bad person and you do something illegal, you should go to jail or get a punishment that is fitting to your crime. But prevention is the answer to that issue more than in prison time is. Whatever we can do to keep you out of there is the thing that we should be focused on and not so much on keeping you in prison once you're there. 
And we should also question why you're, you went to prison. What did you actually do? And do the ends justify the means? And probably not. But I don't want to get all bleeding heart liberal on you guys. Um, that's not what you're here for. I don't know what you're here for, honestly. Are you here for that? I got our first email, which is cool. Danny sent one in. Um, he's the guy I who hosts uh, or co-hosts uh, What's the Narrative with uh, executive producer Chelsea Martin. And they had me on their show that one time. I'm sure I talked about that on the podcast once after it happened. Uh, and he sent in a pretty cool email. Made some good points about the questionnaire. He listened to the uh, the New Year's podcast and, and, and pointed out some things that we might be able to kind of tweak on that. And I've been thinking about that a lot, trying to come up with better, more inclusive questions. Because right now the questions I have are very much geared towards people who are directly in my life. And I think it would be better if I had more kind of generic, well, not generic, but more open-ended questions that aren't so specific about people that I have in my head already. Because the end goal here is for me to like interview people who aren't my friends and family. And I want a format that is conducive to having a stranger in here and still be interesting. I don't know. Food for thought. Uh, yeah, that's the Dragons and Department of Corrections. Uh, the video that I'm going to link, uh, the thing that I've been watching, uh, I showed Chelsea this. It's uh, Griffin McElroy. If you don't know the McElroy brothers, you should get to knowing them. Um, they have a podcast empire. There's, uh, my brother, my brother and me, which is an advice podcast that they host. There's three of them. There's Griffin, Justin and Travis. Um, they're all really funny. Griffin and Travis work for Polygon, uh, which if you feel strongly about Polygon, that's fine. I like most of their reporting. I understand they have issues, but you know, who doesn't, uh, nobody's perfect. Uh, I don't really know what Travis does. I should find that out. Um, I think he's like a mechanic. He's like a metal worker or something. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, they're all really funny. They have a Dungeons and Dragons podcast called The Adventure Zone that they do with their dad, who is, it's fucking hilarious and it's so good. And I am straight up stealing things from their campaign and putting them into mine because they're so good. Which means that none of the people who play my game are allowed to watch, listen to that podcast because it will be spoiler territory. So you're all forbidden from looking at Adventure Zone, even though it's really good. Everyone else, though, go check it out. Griffin does a podcast with another guy at Polygon called uh, Cool Games Inc., where they take suggestions from audience members uh, or from emails and stuff like that and then try and fake build a video game, develop a video game from them. Uh, and they're really, really funny. Um, but I'm going to stop shilling their, their stuff. Um, so anyway, back to my other point. Um, so Griffin McElroy on Polygon.com does a feature called Griffin's Amiibo Corner where he reviews Amiibos. If you don't know what an Amiibo is, an Amiibo for the Wii U, Nintendo released these little plastic vinyl um, figures of their characters from various video games and different properties that they own that have like RFID chips inside them. So when you put the thing on top of, uh, put the uh, Amiibo on top of the Wii U, a pad or a docking station or something like that on certain games it will make things happen like in smash brothers it will make that character appear um in mario party games it'll allow you to play that character that functionality turns out to not be that great because they don't really support it Um, but the amiibos themselves are really popular as like collector's items 
when so Griffin sits down and reviews them. Um, and part of, well, I don't know if I should spoil it for you. I think you should watch it. It's more than it seems. It sounds boring and dumb when I describe it, but trust me, it goes places and is hilarious and amazing. And they're only like five minutes long each. So who, who am I hurting by doing this? Nobody. That's who. Um, so that those are my suggestions. Go read the article uh, by Elizabeth to clear and then go check out uh, Griffin's Amiibo Corner. And then the last thing that I have, so on last episode, uh, I don't know if we talked about it. Yeah, we did during the during the New Year's episode. Chelsea and I talked about it where I, her brother and I had the idea of watching and reviewing the syndicated television program Two Broke Girls. So, at my own cost of sanity, what I did is sat down and watched the pilot episode of Two Broke Girls front to back, which has a runtime of like 26 minutes or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I did that for you guys. I took no pleasure from it whatsoever, and it was one of the worst almost half hours of my entire life. And I wish I was joking about that. I really do. Um, so I'm, uh, what I'm planning to do is break down this show to its core and get real introspective about it. Like really dig deep on what makes two broke girls, two broke girls. There are six seasons. I think there's 24 episodes per season. I don't know if I'm going to have the wherewithal to get through all of that. I can't make that promise to you. I'm probably not that strong of a person. My character is not that good. I'm just a man, and I can only take so much before I break. But I will do my best. I will For as long as I can take it, I will, every week or every two weeks, every episode, I will watch another episode of Two Broke Girls and then come back at you with my thoughts on it and why it's the worst television program on TV right now. Um, that's maybe hyperbolic. After watching the first episode, I may have come out of it not as critical as I was before because I'd only seen it in bits and pieces. I still think it's hot garbage uh, and there's like really nothing funny about it, but it might not be the, I don't want to say this because I only watched the first episode and I don't want to skew my judgment, but let's get into it. So if you don't know what Two Broke Girls is, I'm going to explain it to you right now. Two Broke Girls is an American television sitcom created by Michael Patrick King and Whitney Cummings. Premiering in 2011 on CBS, the show is set in Brooklyn and follows the kooky misadventures of unlikely friends Caroline Channing, played by Beth Burns, and Max Black, played by Kat Dennings Cleavage. Gaze on in a mindless stupor as this odd couple attempts to dig themselves out of a seemingly endless pit of poverty and misfortune by opening a quaint little cupcake business. But first, they need to find a way to come up with $250,000 cash money. What zany schemes will these free-spirited entrepreneurs come up with? Only one way to find out. So strap on your white privilege hats and juicy sweatpants. Then follow me as we journey through a land of racial insensitivity, absurdly overdone laugh tracks, and cheap cum jokes. Wave goodbye to what little humanity you had left and walk hand in hand towards the never-ending darkness that will one day surely consume everything we once believed in. This is a place where children's dreams are blotted out like so many dying stars, and the careers of young actresses come to die. This is CBS. So I might be overblowing it a little bit, but I really believe the things that I just said. Uh, and after watching the first episode, I even believe them even more. Um, so the first episode is introduction of characters, kind of. Um, but 
like the first thing that happens. It's literally cold open on the diner that Kat Dennings works in. Uh, and the first thing that happens is she t- tells a boob joke. Like she walks up to the counter because the cook is serving food and she's picking up an order for a customer. Uh, and then she looks at him and says, hey, when you get a second, stop looking at my boobs. And then laugh track goes crazy. And that's it. That's the first thing that happens in this show. And then it just spirals out from there. Uh, it's incredible what depths this show kind of stoops to. Like, I, I can see in the, like, in the background, I can see what they're going for with this thing. But it feels like someone took this out of the writer's hands. And by someone, I mean a committee of businessmen and marketers and we're like here's like a interesting kind well kind of interesting story about two down on their luck people who are trying to make their way in the world what if we just like filled it with racially insensitive humor and dick jokes that'll be cool right and it's like no no that wouldn't be cool guys if you did that Man, oh man. So the, the premise is that uh, Kat Dennings is like a lifelong waitress. Like that's how she kind of describes herself. It's like, oh, I've been a waiter forever. I've waited from here to Kansas. Uh, and then the other character, uh, Beth Bears, who I'm not familiar with. I don't really know any of her work. I don't know if she's been in anything else. I didn't actually look her up. Um, shows up as a replacement for the other waitress that she was working with. And it turns out that she is the heiress daughter to some billionaire stalker bank broker guy uh, who was running a Ponzi scheme in New York City and got caught. And now she's homeless effectively uh, and has no idea how to do a normal nine to five. Well, doesn't know how to do a service job, basically. Um, And then they become roommates for some reason. And then... Beth's character finds out that Kat's character can cook really good cupcakes or bake really good cupcakes. And they decide to make a business plan out of that. And she declares for uh, some reason that they need $250,000 to start that business. And then they start trying to come up with ways to make $250,000 and also they have a horse. I I lost the narrative somewhere along the line. Um, There's a whole part with Kat Denny's character's boyfriend and how he's a scumbag, and he meets Beth's character, um, Caroline, and immediately tries to like seduce her. And I, when I saw that scene opening up, I was like, because basically the whole show, like through, up to this point, I had been able to predict what was going to happen. Uh, just like a good, you know, sixty to 70 seconds before it actually happened, I was like, well, this is the next logical jump that they would probably make um, because it's the simplest thing that they could do. Uh, And when, so that when the boyfriend starts hitting on uh, Caroline, instead of jumping his bones, like I assumed she would, um, she actually shows some like real character and tells him to go fuck himself basically, which I hope they keep making turns like that to make them more humanized characters or like seem like real people as opposed to the kind of cartoony slapstick characters that they are now. 
But I also think that that's maybe asking more than the show is capable of producing. Uh, and then there's a part where they on a they're on a subway train, and it looks like Caroline had been sleeping there probably, and Cat uh, Denning's character Max sees her and tries to approach her, and when she touches her shoulder, Caroline pulls out a taser and tases her. And then once Max recovers from being tased, two seconds later, um, they have a conversation that ends with Max saying, that's not what being raped feels like, which is a really weird line to throw into this show uh, because it's not really a joke. And when you really sit down and think about it, it implies that Max was raped at some point and now they're making rape jokes. And not funny rape jokes. I can appreciate a funny rape joke. I don't think there's anything you can't make fun of. Whether or not you find it funny or whether or not you find it offensive is up to you. And that's, you have every right to be offended by anything and you have every right to laugh at anything. Like, I'm not going to judge anybody. I have, laughed at, I have laughed at really funny rape jokes. I also understand rape is not a thing you should make light of because it's a terrible thing. Uh, and this show made me feel gross when they did that. I think it's partly just the offhandedness that she made that comment with was like, clearly I don't think that they were trying to imply that she had been raped because that would be like way out of character for the tone that this show was going for. And obviously they wouldn't do that. But also like there's only one way to take that sentence. And I don't know, I don't know why people in the writer's room wouldn't have seen that. So this episode was written um, and I think directed by Michael Patrick King, who uh, I looked him up and the only thing I would really know him for was that he wrote and directed um, Sex in the City and both of the Sex and City movies. So take that for what it's worth, I guess. And then Whitney Cummings, I didn't know she was a part of this until I, I read the, the Wikipedia article for the show. Um, I liked her comedy from what I the, like, I think I saw one stand-up special that she did, and I thought it was funny. And I like her as a person, and I liked uh, her show Whitney, which was a short-lived sitcom that she was doing. Uh, I guess back in 2011, it was actually airing at the same time this show was being done, so she was probably working on both of them at the same time. I'm pretty sure Whitney got canceled at some point. I don't think it's still on TV, uh, but I, I liked the parts of it that I saw. I thought it was an interesting show. And that always bums me out when I see people that I kind of like and respect doing things that I don't respect or like. But I'm not going to hold that against her. Everybody's got to get paid. And this show is six seasons deep, which means it must... It's weird because you look at the ratings and stuff for the show and they're not that high necessarily. Or, or like the critical acclaim that it gets like is very mixed. I think on Rotten Tomatoes, the first season has like a 6.5 or something. So it's like half, almost half and half of people are like, no, this is the worst thing ever. And other people are like, yeah, it's fine. You know, it's just another sitcom like any other. I disagree with that latter statement. Uh, I don't think this is fine. I think this this show legitimately is terrible. Um, I, I don't think I laugh. I, I didn't laugh once throughout the entire thing. I don't think any of the jokes are funny. They come too fast. Like the, every other sentence that the characters speak is a punchline, and it's it's horrible. And the laugh track that they use is terrible. It feels so forced and fake, and 
like yeah it says live like recorded live live in front of a studio audience it's like yeah i bet it is but it doesn't sound like you use those people's laugh and i mean no show does that right like all shows have laugh tracks and fine that's great but the mixing on the on the audio for the laugh track is so different than the studio mixing that it like the laugh track actually takes you out of the joke it makes it worse. This is one of the few times where I think it would actually be better if they didn't have a laugh track. And I would love to see a cut of this show that didn't have a laugh track. It might be even less watchable than it currently is. God. Um, that's all I really have for it today. I, I'm, I'm going to try and go deeper into it, I think, on the next episode that I watch. It, so it, it was really contrasting because right before I watched the first episode of Two Broke Girls, I started watching Broad City which in thematically is a similar show where it's two lead female characters down on their luck, poor living in New York, trying to get by. And it does the same style of humor and like the same kind of like a lot of dick jokes, a lot of pussy jokes, a lot of like low brow humor. The difference is that Broad City is ingeniously funny and well-written and well-acted and everything about it is fucking amazing and it's so good and then you watch two broke girls and it's like this is pretty much the same premise and the same style of comedy but done in the worst way possible and you couldn't have two shows that were trying to do the same thing that went in completely different directions and it's really depressing to watch like it really affects me a lot (laughs) So my homework for you, dearest listener, is to go out and before next episode, watch episode two of season one of Two Broke Girls. And whoever my next guest is on the show, I will also make them watch that episode. uh, And then we can discuss. Because people out there like it. Somebody out there watches this show and thinks that it's okay. Or actively chooses to watch it. So so I want to meet those people and I want to talk to them and see what their life is like and what they're doing and what their job is and like like what's their 9 to 5, you know? I got to know. Cuz holy shit. <laughs> holy shit. That's it for me tonight, folks. Um I said it was going to be a shorter episode, still went longer than I thought it would. Nintendo Switch stuff really took up a lot of time as it turns out. I have thoughts on that. Hopefully it was interesting. I don't know if it was. I was kind of rambling there. I'm still heavily medicated and stuff, so I don't really know what I'm saying. Uh, But, you know, we'll get over it. We'll get past it. We'll get better. We'll get well. We'll get good. We'll get money. Well, we probably won't get money. I can't guarantee that. But we will get better. I think the show is getting better. Uh, If you have comments on whether another show is getting better or worse or whether or not I should, you know, talk about things other than video games and stuff and TV that I'm watching, uh, you can send us an email at lnthypodcast at gmail.com. That's lnthypodcast at gmail.com, all lowercase. I'd be happy to have your emails and contact you and talk to you and, you know, maybe you have ideas for questions during the the 100 questionnaire that we're trying to put together if you listen to the other episodes um that would really help me out a lot if someone could could come up with other ideas because i'm really scraping the bottom of the bucket here uh it's real real sad you guys you gotta throw me a bone 
you can follow us on Twitter, uh, LNTHY, at LNTHY on Twitter.com. Um, I, I, I do tweet out of that thing. I don't have, I have, I think two followers and one of them is me on my other account. So it's kind of me talking to myself on Twitter, which is sad. Um, but I still do it because I enjoy it and I think it's actually pretty interesting and funny. So you should go check that out. Uh, and obviously check us out on SoundCloud. I, I did get the RSS feed thing going, so you should be able to download it from any of your, uh, well, mo- I won't say any, but most uh, podcast apps that are out there should be able to find it. And if not, again, send me an email. I'll try and get it on the service that you're using. Still working on getting it on iTunes. Haven't really had time to, to work on that. So hopefully I'll get that going and everything will be cool. Uh, Thank you again for listening. Continue to listen. I'm going to be here every two weeks, hopefully, uh, regardless if anyone listens to this. I'm going to be here because I like doing it, and this is for me and not for you. But also, tell your friends and family, uh, and I love you. Okay. Good night. Teacher thinks that I sound funny, but she likes the way you sing. Tonight I'll dream while I'm in bed when silly thoughts go through my head. The bugs and alphabet. When I wake tomorrow, I'll bet that you and I will walk together again. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Yes, I can tell that we are gonna be friends.